Get played premium DLC. I am Nick Weiger along with Heather Ann Gamble. I'm Heather Ann Campbell along with our producer Matt Apodaca. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome back, Bucket Edge guys. We, we got a bit. movie episode we, wait, this wait, week. Wait, 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 we didn't do the bit. We didn't do it. Premium DLC. Premium DLC. Premium DLC. Yeah. Okay. There we got it. Um. We've got a, a a movie episode this week for a premium DLC. That's right. It's another edition of The Game Was Better. And this time we're talking Indie Game The Movie, which was a documentary that was kickstarted and released in 2012. The uh, filmmakers are James Swirsky and Lizanne Peugeot. And it's about indie game development. I want to I want to say right out of the gate here. One we established the title of this uh, of this segment or this this uh, this concept when we were reviewing Doom the movie, and I want to say this is a good movie. This is a compelling documentary that gives you some insight into a really neat window of time when video game when independent video game development was going mainstream thanks to the Xbox Live Arcade, the Steam Store, etc., and high profile games like. Braid and Limbo. Um, that being said, I think this movie uh, makes makes the act of making video games look like the absolute worst thing you could do with your life. <laughs> like, right? There is there are points in this film where every person interviewed is at the height of stress and terror. Like there is mm-hmm. no nobody is like chill all the way out. Maybe Jonathan Blow, uh, creator of Braid, but the rest of the guys are at and at different points to like, fuck! No! Yeah. Fuck! Like, like, it's great. So, the film profiles three different development teams across three different games. Heather already mentioned Jonathan Blow and Braid. Braid has already been released and was a huge success uh, as this film is taking place. And um, Super Meat Boy is another of these games. This is developed by Edmund McMillan and Tommy Refinez, two-person team, uh, who are working independently uh, and uh, separate from one another physically. They're on opposite coasts. And Phil Fish who is uh, the the development lead behind Fez. He's also working with a programmer and a producer who are kind of side characters in this film. Uh, lightning rod for controversy later on. But it's these three games, uh, Braid, Fez, and Super Meat Boy, all at different stages of development. And it's, it's uh, like Heather was saying, a big part of it is these... Uh, you know, uh, these developers grappling with the raw labor that is required to just like put out a game. It's just so much fucking work to make a game, um, especially if you're a small team or a solo dev. And then also just a lot of it is them living in the reactiveness of social media, uh, which, you know, this came out in 2012, but still very much Twitter and Facebook are a presence. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, either 
people criticizing in, in, in Phil Fish's case, it's people are just like furious about how delayed this game has been. It's ultimate development cycle, I think, is close to five years. Uh, Jonathan Blow is dealing with a lot of with some backlash, mostly praise. And then he even says to him, the thing that, that drove him the craziest, the thing that made him the most upset was the praise from people who didn't understand what he was trying to say creatively mm-hmm. like people were like i love this game it's really fun but they didn't understand it on the level he was trying to convey which is kind of he's kind of up his own ass but it's an interesting you know uh it's an interesting reaction so i uh this f- legendary video game forum that i was a part of in the mid early 2000s uh david hellman who is the um art the artist of braid like the guy who designed the art of braid mm-hmm. was a member of that forum and so I had dinner with Jonathan Blow in the mid two thousands, uh, with a with a couple other guys from that that same circle of friends. Uh huh. And let and he is exactly like he is in the documentary, like mm. real pensive, real like. Hmm. Yeah, I just feel like the philosophical underpinnings of a video game are the things sometimes left unsaid on the periphery, you know, there. Right. Yeah. Like he's that kind of guy. Like there's no, you, he's not performing for the camera in this. That is just a hundred percent who that dude is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of these guys, I mean, uh, no shade or disrespect, but a lot of them are very like, yeah, I make indie games. Like I don't make, <laughs> I don't make halo. I don't make, right. You know, um, I, it's, it's it's you know it's interesting because I feel like like the the t- uh, team meat which developed Super Meat Boy uh, are the two guys who are you know they're both from working class backgrounds and they are uh you know just developing purely from a place of passion and, and there is kind of that attitude but it, it it also kind of I feel like comes with frustration at you know what mainstream gaming is mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. see we see these these kinds of things of like you know what you would have seen about a a, a a big budget title of the era like a you know like a halo reach um versus like now is that we've just seen triple a development the costs have gotten even more bloated the teams have gotten even bigger the the crunch is worse and the level of polish expected is is unreal and it's created it's 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 like the the need that they were that that these developers were fe- were uh you know the niche that they were filling and the the need that they were fulfilling in this era has become even more like you know necessary now when you need like indie games to counteract this the the fucking forces of just like just like more is more that you get from AAA development. I've read a lot of think pieces lately that say that triple a development is going to is coming to an end that Mm. like it's just not a sustainable model uh for the industry and there aren't the purchases uh required to fund triple a development that like now because of the fidelity and because of the uh expected scope of these games uh that it is much more of a gamble than it used to be right uh I don't know if I believe that, but if that's the case, then indie game the movie is going to just become game the movie. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I I think you know I've seen people I've seen some version of this of just like I want games with the the sentiment being shared of like I want games with smaller teams and smaller budgets that don't look as good, 
uh, and that the the developers don't have to kill themselves because mm-hmm. that's what yeah. it feels like. That's the expectation of something like you know. And we love The Last of Us Part Two, but it's the amount of labor that was necessary to realize that. Even something like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, as of this record, as broken as it is, it's just like so much work was required to even like release that in its current form. And these developers are just going to continue crunching after release to try to make it, uh, you know, a, a more playable. Uh, but but getting back to this to to this the this documentary, I, I would say like like thinking of it as a documentary. It's one of those docs that the uniqueness of the subject, at least in in you know in the medium, like yeah, you don't see a lot of like you don't really see mainstream documentaries about video games. I, I think the 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 one that people think of is like King of Kong, and even mm-hmm. that's about like a di- like a different sort of subculture. So, but game development is pretty undercovered in media. So I think if you're interested in video games, it's worth watching from that standpoint. I would say, you know, don't expect Errol Morris. Like it's like yeah. it's very much like feels like a film financed by Kickstarter. It has it's it has like an aggressively Kickstarter, you know, Vimeo sort of aesthetic. And uh, and I, I think there are elements to it where just sort of like, all right, well, this is interesting enough for me to keep watching. But like as a documentary, I'd, I, you know, I don't know how how fucking successful this is i don't know what do you think heather uh i feel like there aren't enough movies made about the making of video games and so it's like a it's like water in a desert like i was so happy that this existed uh it reminds me of i i feel like sub video game subculture movies are so few and far between uh you cited king of kong i i saw Bang the Machine once, which is a documentary about uh, the Street Fighter tournaments being played in the late 1990s, uh, early 2000s, when the first ever Team America go went to uh, Japan to play um, to play against the Japanese players there, and it was this like really compelling documentary that I think can't be released because the music is embedded into the timeline now Mm. and it's unlicensed. And so they can't ever release this film. And it's a shame because there's these time capsules for of, of gaming pre YouTube, because I feel like once Twitch exists and once YouTube exists, everything is already out there and there's no need for these artifacts. But Mm -hmm. like when indie game, the movie came out, like it wasn't, there was no other place other than like NeoGAF to read about the development of these independent properties. And even now I feel like it's so different that it's a window in time. I'm glad it exists. I really enjoy this film. No, I liked watching it. I, I mean, I, I would, I think this is a, I, I will say though, I think this is a film for people who already know about video games. And I feel like it's yeah. made with that audience because a lot of the things like, you know, I think they gloss over, the development process. They don't really like, like clarify the role of a programmer versus a designer. They kind of conflate design and art. There's a lot of things that, that happen where I feel like if you are someone who doesn't know about video games, just like, Oh, I want to see what this doc is about. You know, I feel like a really well-made documentary will take a subject, for instance, like murder ball, like which is about, you know, a, a, uh, a, a Paralympic sport 
that I had no context for prior to watching the film, but you watch it and the the film gives you all the context you need. Whereas here, I feel like if you didn't know anything about game development, uh, you were just someone, you're someone who wanted to watch a film about, uh, just wanted to watch a documentary. I feel like you'd be a little lost at parts. That said, as a game enthusiast, the the element I really liked a lot is just seeing seeing uh, uh, how Edmund and Tommy uh, team meet work together. And these guys, you know, Tommy's in North Carolina. Uh, Edmund is in Santa Cruz, California. Uh, they are, you know, Edmund lives with his wife. His wife, uh, I believe, Danielle is her name. Is like one of the 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 is a is a great character in the movie because she is just so like you know loving and supportive, and also like you know feels like this is like kind of taken over and intruded upon her life as well. Um, and then, uh, and you know, Tommy lives with his parents. I, I believe maybe he lives in his his uh, in an apartment. It's it's kind of unclear to me. Uh, but you know, the two of them, they just like they're on these this nocturnal schedule, and they're just communicating uh, online basically. But they they build they build this amazing game together, and just hearing like Edmund talk about you know his passion for art and his design approach, and just sort of talk you through how he's designing levels is like you know th these are all basically teaching exercises. We're going to teach you this mechanic, and then you're going to apply it. And he's just having this dialogue with the player uh, in, in his design process, and then you play the game, and it absolutely like translates um and then you know it, it's like like i all that shit i love and I, I i fucking just ate that all up well super mario brothers is the same way the tutorial is inside of the game so like the first right uh the first like time you come across a, a pyramid of uh of blocks with the space in between there is a there's ground in between that mm -hmm. in those that pyramid of blocks and then when you encounter it again later in the level, there's just a bottomless pit in between those pyramid of blocks. So like it's incrementally teaching you how to play the game as you're playing it, which is like I know I really complained about um, Metal Gear Solid 2's lack of tutorial when the game began. But I feel like we're talking about two totally different things here. One is uh, willfully antagonistic. And this is like. <laughs> you, you, you like get a charming invitation like hey learn the game mechanic as you're playing sure. the game mm -hmm. um, it, it, it depends on the level I feel like the level of complexity because yeah. there's so many mechanics and especially with uh, you know not to talk more about Metal Gear Solid 2 although I would only talk about that if we could uh, but the, <laughs> the there's so many mechanics in that and you're kind of expected to apply them all at once in that tanker mission um, yeah. and uh, but you know it's Super Meat Boy it's you got two buttons and it, and it introduces everything, you know, kind of step by step. Uh, and so like like hearing that that process explained in detail and just also all the iteration that takes place in this game. I, I guess, uh, you know, the uh, Phil Fish is the the seems like the obsessive perfectionist. At least that's how he's portrayed in the film where he's just kind of like, you know, going pixel by pixel over tile sets to try to uh, to put in some imperfections in some of these to make them feel all distinct from each other. And he's endlessly refining. He says at some point he's redesigned or the documentary says at one point he's redesigned the entire game three times um, over the course of development. And it's it, it, you just sort of see like the meticulousness of some of these these guys. And that's kind of what I guess what it takes to put out a high quality game uh, if you have basically no one else around you. Fez is the polymega of indie games, which, mm. as of this recording, still has not been released. But maybe by the time this airs, I will have the polymega, which I've been waiting for since 2018, 
I think, maybe hmm. 2017 even, uh, for that system, which plays all games, to be released. It feels uh, feels like my relationship is very me, Phil Fish, is me, Polymega. Uh, you should probably scream at Polymega online. That's uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of Get people try that tactic. Yeah. You know, a lot of people all caps at Twitter, Polymega, or at Polymega Twitter, and are like, where's my fucking system? I paid for this in 2017. I'm like, look, man, it's either going to get delivered or it won't. Yelling at them is not going to fucking change it. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I will say that there's also an element of this that just sort of reminded me that, like, social media is just, you just should not be on it. Because it seems like these... At least Jonathan Blow and and uh, and Phil Fish, I think perhaps if you follow games, both famously by this point, are they they're just way too online and are just absorbing all these comments. And yeah, a lot of people are fucking assholes, but it it it, it makes you feel like the all like those negative voices, and we've all experienced this. I mean, you get people mad about the podcast or mad about anything you create, mm-hmm. and it's just like those negative comments feel like feel important. It doesn't matter who they come from. It doesn't matter if it comes from an account that just got created with zero followers. It feels like, Oh, this personal criticism is something that is, I have to, you know, this is important and this is a, this is an attack on me. So I feel vulnerable and I'm going to, you know, elevate its, its priority needlessly. That feels like that really like, disrupts the lives of all of these developers and we, mm-hmm. we you hear like multiple like like more than one of them talk about going into deep depression as a result of engaging with with social media i'm just like get the fuck off of there yeah like, i know it's tough i know you kind of have to be on there to promote yourself but also just fucking stop reading shit it's it's so it, it just seems so destructive it's it was uh, when i was watching it i was like it's weird that this isn't the story of the documentary like it's like yes. such a like important point in in the documentary that they didn't know they were making yet because like obviously social media is now far worse than it ever could have been but i feel like if i had seen this at the time i would have been like social media is bad what like like, (laughs) this would have been the first people telling me right uh but they were also i mean because the guy uh phil also sort of makes the point too that people tweeted him like hey where's fez or whatever and he's like there's like three of us (laughs) yes and i was like oh yeah i guess i never thought about that like i mean because i you know this game is talking about a very specific window in time and i guess like i i didn't really start playing indie games until i started buying because i probably bought all my ps3 games um physical Mm -hmm. and i started to buy digital games on the ps4 and then now with the switch the switch has more games on it than I have for the PS4, like for any system that I have basically, because I'll just like, okay, great. I'll buy this. But so I didn't really mess around with indie games until uh, the last console generation. And so I, I guess I never really associated that. Oh yeah. That, that it's not just that it's not like a, you know, funded by Nintendo or whatever um, company. It's literally like a small team. And like so, yes. seeing them work on it together, like you know, on, on watching uh, Edmund and Tommy work on Super Meat Boy, I was like, oh, it is just, it's just them, and that's like really, uh, that really just like opened my eyes. I thought it was such a cool, uh, like, cool thing. I would love, I, I guess, to Nick's point, I would have loved to see yeah. more of that process. Well, well, I think that's a that's part of it. Is like 
you know, because for that for its era, and Xbox Live Arcade obviously was like huge for ma- bringing indie games to consoles. I mean, mm-hmm. that that really wasn't a thing prior to that. And the, the Nintendo's eShop and and the the you know indie game renaissance on Switch is all can trace its origins to to Xbox Live Arcade. Uh, but I think the uh, the the documentary times kind of feels like propaganda for Microsoft because mm-hmm. all three of these games are developed with Microsoft money, and I would have liked to. Ha- I mean, if they're gonna if, if they're gonna have that anyway, I would like to have some explanation of like how like like let's let's explain how Super Meat Boy got funded. Let's explain how uh, Fez you know originally funded by the Canadian government, but how did they they have a Microsoft partnership? How did all these things work out? I, I would have liked them to dig into that a little bit more because they do get into Edmund's history and developing a bunch of his own indie games. A lot of a lot of them were flash games, but I would have liked to see like, oh, this is exactly how he we he ended up with this, uh, you know, looming deadline to get this published on in the Xbox online yeah. store. I um I it was hard for me not to rank everyone as, 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 by right. their personality, but I really, really took to Edmund. I think Edmund is such a, seems like such a sweet guy. Uh, yes. and was just like, even though it was hard, was like happy sort of the whole time making it. Cause he was excited. Like you could just tell how passionate he was about making yeah. this guy. Like there's yeah. a point or, or making this game. There was a point where he got fan art and he like got so excited because yeah. he's like, I used to draw Mario. Yes, like yeah, now people are drawing Super Meat Boy. I got like choked up. I was like, "That's in, that's what an amazing thing." Yeah. Yes. One of my favorite quotes from them was uh, when they're talking about Meat Boy, and they're like, "We made Super Meat Boy to be accessible," which yeah. is simultaneously very honest and and real about Super Meat Boy. It's like you, you play the game; it's only got a couple of buttons, but it's also like. That game's fucking hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Punishingly difficult. Like, and to be like, yeah, we made a game for everybody. And like, you die so fucking much in Super Meat Boy that it is. I mean, the clip they play of somebody playing the game is them swearing at the screen so much that they bleep out like yes. all of the. So it's a really funny juxtaposition to be like, this game's for everybody. And then you yeah. cut to like, fuck, God Shit! No, fuck. no, yeah. no! Clip of anyone playing the game was somebody having a good time. Like no, everyone's getting pissed off. Like God damn it! Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will say that at, speaking of clips, there's a cultural artifact in this movie which is great, which is Soldier Boy playing yes. Braid, and yeah. he's like kind of having fun with it. But then it follows the arc, and then ultimately, you know, it, it, it's it it reaches a point where he's like saying things like there there's no point to this game. This game is dumb. Like he's calling it like stupid, and we we're sort of like seeing Jonathan Blow, uh, you know, kind of understanding his journey along with that as we're going from it. Oh, it seems like he's excited about it, but no, he's saying this game sucks. Um, with it, there is one thing we should uh we should address regarding this game and its production. So, so there's this whole subplot in the movie. Where Phil Fish has a business partner, partner who is his face is blurred out in the photographs, and he is unnamed. His name is blacked out in do- in documents, and there's this whole thing of like this. This is the previous producer on Fez, uh, who is no longer on the project, and they're trying to wrangle some legal documents so that he's uh, officially severed from it, and Phil can exhibit this game at at at, uh, at the Penny Arcade Expo, but. The thing the film does not tell you is that the film's new producer, 
who is uh, the game's new producer, rather, who is presented as kind of a savior who shows up to kind of like the contract signed. Everything's fine. We have that moment in the this kind of triumphant moment in the film. He was actually a producer of indie game, the movie. And the original producer who got who, you know, his face is blurred out and his name is blacked out. That was not at his request. He was not offered to produce to participate in the movie. They no one interviewed him. No one even asked him for uh, for his approval or anything. They just like preemptively excluded him and kind of painted him as this bad guy in absentia. And he was like pissed off about it. And uh, they actually had to put a put a correction in the credits to account for that. But it is the kind of thing is just like, oh, that's kind of. I think that it'd be more interesting to hear from this guy and hear why he left Fez and why yeah. he's mad at Phil Fish, as opposed to just excluding him and saying he's the bad guy because you want to be, you know, because you have these weird conflicting economic interests because a producer of the game is a producer of the film. Yeah, instead of uh, having uh, several moments of Phil Fish saying, I want to fucking kill that guy. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you and then you later on, like, you sort of, you know, would... Uh, like 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 it like learning that later you're just kind of like oh wait maybe like I probably wouldn't want to work with Phil Fish either he seems like a fucking prick you know yeah and so you kind of empathize with that producer would you say that this documentary paints a two out of three developers aren't great people perspective like doesn't it feel awfully loaded towards like this is these aren't great dudes or am I reading into it? No, I think I think that's a fair reading. I think there's I think it's also there's that, that at minimum. And this was your point earlier is just like at, at minimum, they're miserable. At minimum, this seems like a like a self-flagellation uh, process where just like everyone is just going through hell to try to make anything. And yeah, there was a guy at one point who was like, yeah, you know, if I just if I make twenty thousand dollars off this then that'll pay for my next year because that's yes. all I'm, I'm I'm spending. That's all I'm living on. And in my head, I was like, that's to fund a video game and eat food and pay rent seems like an impossibly low amount of money, like yeah. to do all three of those things. Granted, we live in Los Angeles where in order to live in a cardboard box, it's like 1500 a month. Yeah. But yeah. I can't fathom that it wouldn't be at least what ten thousand dollars a year just to pay rent well Tom, right? that's tommy is the character who says that who i believe again lives with his parents in north carolina oh, right. oh, maybe yeah. he has oh. his own apartment um there but he but you know there is a scene with him where he goes to the waffle house and he's just like i can't afford to take someone out to on a date like you know he's just yeah. like i can i can kind of pay for my own meal i think you also see it's either him and or him or edmund you see them like yeah, you know, again, these are these are the working class guys who are like really going through it. But like they're like like this is breakfast and just microwaves like the shittiest looking Jimmy Dean sandwich and then goes to like stare at a monitor for 14 hours uh, writing code. You know, it, it's it's it, it again, it's just kind of a punishing life to try to produce these products. That's why, like, by the time you get to the end of it and Super Meat Boy is like this smashing success. I was just so happy for them. Yeah. <laughs> because like, because I was like, oh, they like really needed this. And they yeah. were talking yes. about like, there was, you know, there's a lot of relatable stuff in it. Like, I don't know. Cause they were t- like, Tommy was talking about, um, like not being excited that it was doing like, well necessarily. Cause like, that's like just comes with its own other sort of like, um, 
things to think about, but he was talking about, he's like, I'm not crying about it doing well, but I'm crying about thinking about crying. Like, right. and I was like, that's such an interesting, like, I was like, I sort of get that in a certain sense, but I was also like, I, the, the relationship with games and these developers, like all four of them, I was sort of more interested in Tommy and Edmund because they were a team versus the, the other two who sort of present themselves as these like auteurs of like video games. And yes, uh, like, you know, obviously we spent a whole month on uh, an auteur um, with Hideo uh, Kojima. Um, but there was just something about, you know, who obviously does have like a triple A um arm behind him as well but there was just something about these two guys where i was like we could kind of cool it a little bit (laughs) yeah we could could take a step back on on the brakes and just sort of be like yeah i like to make games it it felt to me at times and you guys all understand this but perhaps our listeners won't it felt to me a little bit like ucb Mm -hmm. where like there are there are people who will dedicate their lives to improv and there is no financial return on improv. Right. There's no, you cannot make money doing it. What? It is just for. Yeah, sorry, Matt. What? It's just yeah, for sorry. leisure. It's just for, it's just for, you know, it might be a stepping, it might be a platform to get to something else that will pay you, but there are no, I have the one paying job in improv, which is whose line is it anyway? <laughs> yeah. And there's nowhere right. else to do it for money. Um, And it felt like, cultish at times the way they were like talking about video games and yeah. like in video games and eating desperate food i mean it, it it's love it's love like i don't want to dismiss the affection that all of us feel for video games especially on this podcast but you know all over the world we love video games and if i could make a game if i wasn't terrified by the prospect of it i'm sure that i would you know speak about it the way that these guys did but that's because I'm also in a cult, and the cult is video games. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think there's just it requires a particular personality and 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 mindset. I feel like to be able to 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 make something, uh, uh you know, given all the the financial limitations that that at least most of these guys are. Well, I think all these guys are under at least initially, and so it's it's. I, I don't know. I mean, I, it is illuminating from that standpoint of just like, this is what it takes and this is how it kind of drives people to the brink to try to make anything. And and I think Matt's absolutely right. Uh, the Super Meat Boy guys, the, the team meet, their their arc is the most gratifying and the way that the film kind of resolves with them, that game actually being a resounding success, uh, deservedly, is I think the, uh, is as I think what, what, what I, I lands it in a good place. I mean, I guess just I guess we should probably wrap up our discussion just time wise, but I, I think overall I think this is worth watching if you haven't seen it. Uh, I if you if whatever streaming service you subscribe to has it for free, uh, go ahead and check it out, and uh, and you know you'll you'll pro- you probably know these games. Uh, you've maybe played these games. Getting some background on exactly what in their development entailed, uh, as uh, as perhaps uh, flawed as this doc is at times, I think is just so interesting that it's worth watching. And like like Heather was saying earlier, it's just like such underexplored subject matter. Uh, any closing thoughts on indie game the movie? Did you guys play Witness? No, I have not played Witness. Brid? Brid? No, 
the follow up to Brid. <laughs> it should um, be a Brid. The Brid. Uh, it's. It, it, I we should. I mean, maybe we should play it for the show, but it's. Yeah, why not? So dense that yeah. you're like, oh god, this this guy really thought about a lot of stuff for a long time, and then <laughs> made this this game. <laughs> like, I think he recorded fifty thousand individual footsteps when when mm. witness for because uh, it's mostly silent except for like what you're walking, and he didn't want it to sound repetitive. I think I wow. don't remember. Um. That's a weird game, man. That is a weird game. Maybe we'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll say that, like, I mean, I I had never even heard of Fez, which I'm sure would probably drive Phil Fish insane. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. I, I, I had never even heard of it, but, like, looking at what it is, it looked really, really cool, and I want to play it. <laughs> like, I, I it, Yeah. Uh, it looks it's like really a really cool, cool game. And it's cool. I had never seen, I had heard of Braid, but I guess I had never watched like gameplay footage of it. And like, that looks like an interesting game too. So I, uh, you know, we are do we did, um, super meat boy on the show, but now I'm excited to check out, uh, those other two games. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think that'll also whet your appetite for playing these games if you haven't. So, mm-hmm. uh, Hey, indie game, the movie. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at GetPlayedBot or send us an email at GetPlayedBot at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 616-2PLAYED. That's 616-275-2933. Maybe you have a suggestion of a movie you'd like to hear us cover on a future episode of Pupa Premium DLC. Premium DLC. Premium DLC. I'm a baby. I can't handle Premium DLC. Henry Kissinger, I want my premium DLC. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this premium DLC. That's one small step for paywalled content. One giant leap for premium DLC. We're going to have to get a bigger boat. <laughs> Ha 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 